morning, church. How we doing? Yeah? Good. As our uh, venues here on campus join us today, both the venue and the chapel, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, Rick and Steve are preaching live at their campuses today. We're all moving through the same text, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Mother's Day is a fun time for my family. Uh, every so often, however many years it is, however the math works out, my birthday falls on Mother's Day. So, uh, and apparently, I'm the parental preacher. As last year I got Father's Day, this year I get Mother's Day. I apparently have all the parental holidays covered. So we're going to do something today that I'm extremely excited about. We're going to go into this text in John 8, and it's a text that really encapsulates one of the premier reasons that I got into ministry. It's this idea of freedom. And freedom it just became kind of intoxicating to me because I started to see in my own life how enslaved I was to certain things. And when I started to come to understand Jesus as a loving savior who had come to set the captives free, or as he says in John 10, 10, to give me abundant life, all of a sudden the game changed. And so that's where I wanna take you today, kind of as we walk through this text, it's, it's a lot of fun. But in order to do that, we have to seat ourselves in the midst of our reality which is that we live in a country here in the United States that experiences freedoms like very few other countries ever have at any point in the history of mankind. Can, I, can we all agree that that's kind of our reality here? That got you guys fired up, great. Applause early, maybe I should just pray and we'd be done. <laughs> the reality is even if you just take food here in our country, we experience a caloric freedom like no other place anywhere. Right? It's kind of a calorie carnival over here. And, and some of our biggest problems is we're actually trying to keep food away from us so that we don't partake in too much. That's a new thing that's happened in the last five to 800 years where mankind can eat at pretty much any time he wants. Meals used to be a really tough thing to get to, but that is a new freedom that we've had over the last several hundred years. And now there's sort of a responsibility that comes with that freedom. If I were to ask anyone in this room to take some time and just tell me what freedom means to you, I would probably get a definition that sounds a little bit like this. Well, you know, here's the deal, Rustin. Um, nobody really gives me a lot of input. I sort of make decisions on my own. I don't really have to worry about what it is that people are telling me to do. And you would describe some version of being masterless. Nobody's really the master of my life. I kind of am the master of my own life. Now, you're in good company if that kind of is your definition. Here's Webster's definition. It's the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. Essentially, put into layman's terms, this definition, and probably most of ours, is to say, freedom is best defined as leave me alone, I got it. What I'll submit to you today by the time we're done is that that's on a collision course with how you were designed to operate spiritually speaking. You were not designed to be masterless. And a lot of times we try to drag our American conception of freedom into our relationships with Christ and we wonder why we're struggling. Jamie did an incredible job last week of talking about closeness. He talked about all these things that were required and we got to the end of his sermon. I was in the venue sitting next to my wife, Jamie. That's never gotten confusing, by the way. <laughs> I had such a romantic dinner with Jamie the other night. What? My wife. It's always a clarification there, but 
I was sitting next to her and God has blessed me with an incredibly wise woman that I get to share my life with. She's smarter than me, she's more intuitive than me. Uh, as my friends say, I way out kicked my coverage. <laughs> so she's sitting next to me in the venue and Jamie was wrapping up his sermon and he gave us these five takeaways and he warned us ahead of time, this is gonna challenge some of you because this is not something you need to know, this is something you need to do. He told us this, if you wanna have a closeness with God, you need to talk to him, confess to him, learn to listen to him, to trust him, and to submit to him. My beautiful, wise wife leaned over to me and she said, Rustin, everything that Jamie just gave us has nothing to do with religion and has everything to do with relationship. You can see I'm pretty blessed there and she's right. She's absolutely right. Religion has kind of taken on a four-letter word status in our house because we don't want to be about religion in my house. Religion, I think, is best defined, as a pastor said recently, as Jesus is in the center of something, but he's impersonal and he's powerless. We don't want to serve an impersonal or a powerless Jesus in my home. We want to serve the Jesus of the Bible who longs for a relationship with us. So as Jamie kind of opened that up, it's important for us to understand that because if you don't understand that Jesus longs for a close relationship with you, you're going to have a really tough time wrapping this kind of concept of freedom up today and taking it home, making it practical. Just to contextualize the passage we're about to, to go into, we're parachuting our way into a very long conversation that's not going well. It started last week in verse 12, and it's going to work its way all the way through to verse 59. And Jesus is in a drop-down, drag-out fist fight with the Pharisees here. And they are just coming after every aspect of who he says he is. As he's doing this at some point in verse 39, they're actually going to go after his mom. It's like, good night, really? This is where we're going? It gets so contentious by the end of it, they're going to pick up stones to stone him, and Jesus kind of pulls a David Copperfield and like slips out the back of the temple. Uh, let's do this just before we go any further. You, you, there you've got that we're going to move all the way through verse uh, 47 today. I'm going to really focus on 31 through 36 and tie some of the latter verses in. So that's what I'm going to read for us now. But to understand those, we've got to kind of hear verse 30. Jesus is in the midst of this conversation and he says this. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then verse 31 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's a powerful passage. And as we break it open today, what I want to start with is I want to look at verse 33. We're going to hop around a little bit because we're going to really bring 31 and 32 home in a big way at the end. This verse 33 where it says, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. This is the first of 11 references to Abraham in the Gospel of John, and all of them fall in the back half of chapter 8. Jamie's going to come back next week, and he's going to hone in on this idea of Abraham and when what they meant, the Pharisees, when they said, we're sons of Abraham, we're offsprings of Abraham. And he's going to open up, Jamie is, the idea of before Abraham was I, the idea of a pre-existent Jesus 
Because Jesus is always taking what the Pharisees say and he's going way above the categories that they have for religion. Now, this is a little confusing because remember, 12 to 59 is one big long conversation. So when it says here in verse 33, they answered him, who are they? Well, if you start in verse 12 and start working your way all the way through, what you're gonna see is that they is referring to the Pharisees over and over and over again. But the scene has changed slightly in verse 30 when we read that many had come to believe. So is the they referring to those who had just come to believe? Or is it referring to the Pharisees? Well, if it's they who just came to believe, what you're gonna see is they're gonna go on to get pretty contentious if that's the they. What I'd submit to you this morning, and the commentators are split on this one, is the they is, it kind of works like this. Jesus is going after this whole group of people and in the midst of it, he recognizes that many have come to believe in him and he takes just a second to look over and to go, I got one shot with you guys. So here's what I'm gonna tell you, abide in my word, You'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And no sooner is he done than the Pharisees would go, we're not done with you yet, brother. Come on back here. Now, either way, what you need to know is we now have a mixed crowd. That's important. Regardless of who you think they is, we now have believers mixed in with very contentious Jewish leaders. You gotta look at their statement and almost just laugh. They look at him and they say, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved by anyone. How many of you know your Old Testaments fairly well? right? Never been enslaved by anyone. I can't swing a dead cat without finding an ancient Near East power you guys have been enslaved by. Look at this list. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Syria, and oh, by the way, Rome's not hosting an international picnic that you're partaking in. You're under Roman occupation even now. So what do they mean? Well, the reality is they're clinging to the one little freedom that they do have, which is to operate as Jews. For them to be able to operate in the Jewish system, they're saying, yeah, it's not what it used to be in the golden era of David and Solomon, but what it is is this, we can be Jewish. We can operate the sacrificial system. We have those freedoms, so we can do that. How can you say we'll be free? I gotta contextualize this for us today. Is this still a cultural problem? Does Jesus come as the ultimate physician, as the ultimate liberator? Does he come to heal the sick? Does he come to free the enslaved? And do people just like these Pharisees look at him and say, I'm not sick, I'm not a slave, leave me alone. And the guys, this is evangelism 101. If you ever sit down and you think, how is the Bible pertinent for me today? How, why is it that I care that these Jewish leaders are barking at Jesus about some things said back in the Old Testament? It's because of this. It's because this is the world you live in today. The Bible is that pertinent now because Jesus' message didn't change and the world hasn't changed that much either. First century Pharisees look a lot like modern day non-believers. They don't know they're sick, they don't know they're hurting, and they don't know what sits on the other side of a decision to engage with a loving savior in relationship. That's how real, that's how pertinent this is for us today. Now, the Pharisees just don't get this because their questions reveal how intensely enslaved they really are. They're kind of quoting this whole, listen, we're sons of Abraham, we got everything we need, we don't need you. And they just continue to get more and more upset. Verse 39, they're gonna go on and say, they answered him, Abraham is our father. As they say that, Jesus kind of calmly responds, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. Verse 41, 
they go on and they say, well, we, were, we weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God, time out. What did they just say? They just said, oh, by the way, that little immaculate conception thing that you cling to, that the Holy Spirit's the one who got your mom pregnant, we're not buying it. We think your mom's a prostitute. Yikes. Man, that had gotten you decked in my house. But listen what Jesus does. This is how calm and how loving he is. He says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. When was the last time someone called your mom a name like that and you said, would you please come closer? Would you love me? Do you hear the compassion that Jesus has even in the midst of this verbal fist fight with these guys who want nothing but to kill him? He's still saying, come close, come and love me. I'm the solution to the problems you don't even know that you have. Jesus responds to him this way in 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I, I gotta ask, church, does this feel real to anyone today? Does anybody feel like there's some sin in their life that they're just enslaved to? You know, I know for me at times, I get so wrapped around the axle that it is so difficult for me. I'll start wrestling with fear or anger or pride. And I just am going, oh man, this is really, really rough. And I just wanna comfort you today, church. If you wrestle with sin, you're in good company. You know, your senior pastor last week stood here and said, hey, I got stuff. It doesn't disqualify me from ministry. I'd give you the same kind of qualification for me today, but I wrestle with things and they're hard. They're difficult. If, you're, if you feel that way, I'll tell you the apostle Paul, he's a fairly big deal. You guys heard of him? This was what he said in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do, what I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This guy's one of the most prolific writers in the scriptures, of the scriptures. And while he's writing the scriptures, he's telling you, I'm still struggling with this sin thing. I don't know why. He'd go on in Galatians to say this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anybody feel today like there's a war going on inside them? that there are things that you long to do and yet there's something in you that keeps you from doing them. It's the sin, it's what Jesus is describing. It's a battle between flesh and the spirit of God that is residing in you. If you feel like there's a battle going on inside you today, church, you're in good company. And then Jesus is gonna give us the answers to what does it look like for us to keep moving forward. And just some great pictures here. Uh, Ironically, historical rabbis would go on to talk about sin and just its insidious nature and the way that it enslaves us in such a progressive way. Rabbi Akiba in AD 135 said this, at the beginning, it's like a spider's thread, but finally it becomes like a ship's rope and you're just chained to it. Another one said this and I love it. At the beginning, it's like a guest. Later, it becomes the ruler of the house. You ever felt like there's sin in your life that you've, you kind of start messing with? I know for me, I get ripped up by fear a lot of times. And a fear will come in and at first it kind of feels like a concern, but by the time I'm done, I'm sort of, I'm ready to keep it around for a little bit, but the next thing I know, it's ruling me. And I'm terrified to do anything. Anybody feel like that today? 
Anybody feel like there's a guest in your house that maybe doesn't belong there? Someone you feel kind of enslaved to? Because if so, you're in good company. You know, tying this into our freedom concept today, I think the reality for a lot of us is we cling to false freedoms. We try to put our hope in false freedoms. Here's what it can look like, financial freedom. Is it wrong to have financial freedom? No, it's not. Is it wrong to have money? No, it's not. It's the love of money that kills us. You know, you sit back and you look at it and somebody will sit there and they'll go after financial freedom. If I could just get to this point, to this kind of net worth or whatever it is, I'll be free, I'll feel better. And then what ends up happening? It just crumbles. Because if financial freedom were enough to satiate some of our deepest needs or to be a freedom that we were designed to experience and to fulfill us, billion dollar hedge fund managers wouldn't commit suicide, but they do. What about social, relational freedoms? Anybody sit down and go, if I could just get the right friend group or if I could be accepted by everyone, well, if that were the case, actors would not be checking in and out of rehab daily because that's the reality. These are people who are accepted by billions. Any one of a billion people would love to have them into their home to experience relationship with them and they are so empty that they are turning to drugs and to alcohol. It doesn't work, it's not enough. The freedom that we need goes far beyond that and Jesus will continue to respond here in verse 35 as he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. Here's what I love, Jesus just hijacked their metaphor. They basically said, look, we're offspring of Abraham, we're the sons of Abraham. We have a place. This place is a secure place in the kingdom of God. And Jesus really comes in, he attacks two things here. He attacks their sonship with Abraham and he attacks their security. He's coming in and he's just indicted them, calling them slaves. You guys practice sin, you're a slave to sin. That's your reality. You aren't as good as you think you are. You're not a son, you're a slave. And then he kind of goes after it and says, you're hanging on to this biological argument with Abraham really heavy. You're sitting back and saying, hey, the ground that I've got here, it ties all the way back. I can show you the papers. I know which tribe I came from. I can tell you everything that's happened for me. And you're standing on that to guarantee your entrance to the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I wouldn't be so confident in where you're standing today. It's shaky ground. Here's what's awesome, this little cultural point that Jesus makes is so powerful. Is, is slavery going on in the first century? Everyone say yes, yes. That was really sad, can we try one more time? Is slavery going on in the first century? Yes. Okay, wake up. It is, it's a reality. Homes have slaves. And what Jesus is doing here is incredible because when he claims he is the son, what he's doing here in calling them slaves is calling their position very insecure. There were two parties in a home that had the ability to set slaves free. One was the head of the household, it was the father. The father could set slaves free. I'm gonna give you guys a guess, please don't screw this up. Who do you think the other party in a family who could set slaves free was? The son. What Jesus is saying is this house that you think you're in, the house of Abraham, the kingdom house, you think you're sons. 
You guys are kind of saying Abraham was a big deal, but we're right behind him. We're sons. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your position as of now, because you practice sin, is not a son, you're a slave. I'm the son, which makes your position very, very uh, hairy. You're gonna wanna be careful about how you go about claiming your sonship. And then if he's hijacked their metaphor, he's about to run them over with it in this conclusion here. Verse 36, he says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I'm gonna submit to you today that our text really works its way out in a three-part process that is strongly counterculture and perfectly in line with God's eternal plan for mankind. When Jesus says this statement here, he says, you know, you will be free. The word in the Greek is ontos. And it just means truly or really free. What Jesus is clarifying is your freedom that you're clinging to, this little spiritual operation that you can run, it's really not the freedom you need. You need to be truly free. You need to be really free. And if you don't get to real freedom, you're gonna continue to kind of waste away right where you are. This three-part process, the first step I'm gonna submit to you today, we're gonna go back into verses 31 and 32, is this. It's the first part of your notes. There has to be an action involved as Jesus submits that to us. He says, you have to abide in my word. Okay, I'm suffering my way through Greek right now, three hours at a time over at the seminary. Daryl thinks it's important, so I'm doing it, okay? So the Greek word here for abide, how many of you have heard the word abide before? Raise your hands, all five of you. Okay, good. Okay, the Greek word for abide, we're gonna do this together. Everybody say meno. One more time, meno. Yeah, that's it. That's the Greek word for abide. Now, when Jamie, in a few months, gets us to the point where we're at chapters 13 through 17, the upper room discourse, and we talk about abide a lot, I want somebody to just stand up as loud as they can and just say, you mean meno. And it'll be awkward, but I'll be over in the venue, so I won't see it. But somebody do that for me, because I'd love it. What this word meno really means, just to round out its definition, it means to remain, to stay, to reside, or to persist in something. That's what Jesus is saying. A good buddy of mine years ago, he was teaching up on a stage over in our high school room, and his name's Stephen Bronston, and, and Stephen gave this definition for abide. He said, if I were standing on the stage right here and I were to fall off this stage into a pool, I would be abiding in the pool. I thought that was great. What Jesus is giving us here is he's giving us something fantastic. Remember, uh, just to, again, culturally contextualize where he is, there's not a bunch of New Testaments laying around. We get that, right? They're not sitting there going, you know, the NASB and the ESV, I just can't decide which would be a better translation for me personally. There's none of that. There's nothing written down. It's being written down as he's saying it. So it's at this point that Jesus is looking at those who have just come to believe in him and he's going, look, here's the deal. You gotta abide in my word. You have to remain in my teaching. The words that I'm saying are so important and it's all gonna come to fruition here in just a little bit. When I go to the cross, it will all make sense. So remain in this, stay in it, reside here. Might that be pertinent for us today? to remain in the teaching of Jesus. The words that came, that persisted, that lasted, and that have changed the face of the earth. 
Might we want to stick around in those? Because that's the action that Jesus is saying. Stay in my teaching. And if we follow the action, the second part of the process kicks in. And that's an effect. And the effect is this, that you will know the truth. You will know the truth. What does that mean? What truth is it, Rustin? Now, Scottsdale Bible, I know you guys fairly well. I know what you're doing right now. This is where he tells me what I need to know. This is it. All right, so just tell me what I need to know. I can kind of tune out after that. I'm gonna submit something to you today, kind of like Jamie did last week. This may be challenging. I'm gonna submit to you today, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, no, 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 we need to know something. We'll know the truth. The truth is a thing, is it? John 14, six says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is a physical manifestation of the truth of God. You gotta know him. And if he is the son, the son will set you free. There's a reality that comes with that. If you come to know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, something amazing will happen to you and that's this. You will realize you are not. And a lot of us have to come to that reality. It's challenging, isn't it? We got a world that props us up and tells us, you're doing awesome, you're doing great. Third grade soccer, everybody gets a trophy. That's awesome. But guess what? You are not the center of the universe, but your savior is. If we know the truth, you will come to see that we are not the fulfillment. We are not to be the masters of our life. We were made for something greater and to fully unpack that, we have to come to the last step of our process and that's this, it's the outcome. The outcome is that you, the truth will set you free. Jesus will set you free as he came to do. We talked in the beginning about cultural freedom. Talked about the idea, like I said, that we sort of try and take the idea that we were meant, we were meant to be masterless. We were designed to be completely free, to operate autonomously in our, in our, certainly in our physical lives, but then we try to drag some of those concepts into our spiritual lives and we can't figure out why we struggle. I think there's a reality here today that we have to understand that for God to truly have command of us as his children, we have to be broken. Now, I'm gonna heavily qualify this word because it has become like Christianese. We throw this word around all the time and I wonder sometimes if we even know what it means anymore. I had a, an amazing opportunity. We were up at the men's retreat. I got a chance to teach up there and we were in a breakout session. Kevin Ewell was teaching on guilt and shame. You wanna talk about a, a great breakout session. Kevin taught powerfully on helping men identify guilt and shame in their life and then helping them root it out. And I mean, guys got real honest and I'm always, I'm always interested to how honest guys are gonna get because we tend to be, I'll hold things close to the vest, I got this, leave me alone. It's like they're always giving me the Heisman, you know, hey Russ, leave me alone. And so as we were talking, and I'll be honest, I wasn't listening to Kevin a lot because I had to teach in three hours, so I was going through my notes and I was like, he's got this. So as I was checked out, I heard a voice from the back of the room speak up and go, hey man, I gotta just tell you something. And I was like, this doesn't sound like he's about to pat him on the back, we'll see how this goes. And he goes, um, people keep telling me in my life, I need to be broken, I need to be broken, I need to be broken. And I'll tell you, I don't know what they mean and I am so stinking frustrated. I went, well, all right, well, you got my full attention now. 
So we kind of started a conversation. It's like 30 guys in the room. We chatted a little bit and I got a chance to spend some time with him later and we prayed. And a good friend of mine walked up after this long discussion on brokenness, Mickey Smith. You guys know him and Ruthie have been here for years. And Mickey walked up and he goes, Rustin, you know, we talk about brokenness and sometimes I just wonder if we really know what it means anymore. I said, all right, Mickey, go ahead. What do you got? He said, we talk about brokenness like it's a vase or a bone. Like we just need to be shattered by God. And once we've been shattered, then the Lord can use us. We just need to be broken. And the challenge with it is that once we've been broken and we're not totally there with the Lord, we think, oh, we just need to be shattered more. Just if the pieces get smaller, then the Lord can use me. He said, I just don't think that's what it's supposed to be. I think what it's supposed to be is it's supposed to look far more like a horse. I said, what do you mean? He said, "Uh, my sister raises horses and there's this reality. There's an instant that when a horse is being broken, you can see when the horse stops and it stops fighting and it submits its will to whoever's on its back. It's been broken. Its will has come unto another. He said, and then what's, what's incredible is this 1,600 pound beast, powerful beyond all measure, can be controlled with a three inch piece of steel between its teeth. And then a five year old on its back can tug on the reins and direct it. He said, I wonder if that's not a better definition of brokenness. And I'll be honest, church, today, it will be my definition for the rest of my career. Because it's beautiful, isn't it? It's perfect. The reality for so many of us is we sit back in the midst of our lives and we keep thinking we need to be shattered more for the Lord to use us. If just bad things will happen to me and we even create theologies around suffering that say, well, here's what's gonna happen. The Lord's gonna break me more and more and more and finally the pieces will get small enough to where I can be used. I'll tell you, you can be shattered and not be broken. I got a PhD in it. First 27 years of my life. I just sat back and I just kept going, well, I guess I don't get it. I'll just keep And the reality was, I took my American conception of freedom and I just went, I'm free. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm masterless. I run my life. And I kept bucking the Lord off time after time when he's like, this isn't good for you. This isn't good for you. And I'd sit there and drink myself to death and just think, I got it. I got it. And finally, in June of 2009, I went, enough. (laughs) I don't got it. I need a master. I need someone to run this mess because I'm not good at it. I'm not great at running my life. And I want to submit to you today, this is not a one-time process. This is ongoing. And you you may be in different places today. If you're sitting back and you're kind of searching your way through this whole Jesus thing, I just encourage you. It's not like a cosmic dictator is out there looking for more, you know, kind of quibbling servants a loving savior, a Lord who longs to do what he knows you need because he designed you. He wants to draw you into a relationship and then guide and direct you because he loves you and his plans work for the good of those who love him. Amen? Amen. That's a reality for us today. So whether you've been a believer for or 50 minutes or for 50 years, I want you to see that God is in a process with all of us of continuing to tug on the reins and letting us know, um, hey, Rustin, you're still trying to be the Lord of your life in this area over here. Can I have that back? Yep, sorry about that. But the Lord doesn't have to shatter me the way he used to because now I'm looking for a tug on the reins. I'm not perfect. I screw stuff up all the time. Ask this beautiful wife of mine. She'll tell you. 
Yeah, no, he's, he's an idiot. He does stuff like that all the time. But the reality is, the brokenness is different now. I hear the Lord sooner, and I don't run as far down life's path just creating disasters because I go, oh, okay, you have my attention. Some of us think we need to be broken over and over again. And this is what leads me to my final point today. If you hear nothing else, I want you to dwell on this this week. The reality for all of us is that true freedom isn't having no master. It's the day you choose the right one. We weren't made to be masterless, guys. And freedom in the kingdom looks so different than freedom in the world. See, here's what Jesus does, and this is what's so incredible. He comes in and he buys you at a price so precious on the cross that none of us can even fathom what the spilt blood of God meant on that cross. He buys you at a price. Paul called himself a bondservant to Jesus. And no sooner has he bought you at a price and he brings you in than he enacts Galatians 5.1, which says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And Jesus came to set the captives free. You come into the family of God, and then he says, you are free. But you're not just free, you're ontos free. You're truly free. So go and live a free life under my lordship as a loving savior, a loving Lord. Doesn't the Christian life make a little more sense there? It's not, it's not just running around. It's not scurrying away from a cosmic dictator. It's living and flourishing under the loving hand of a God who has your best interest in mind. But you have to trust him. You have to be close to him like Jamie submitted to you last week. Does that make sense to you, church? Can you hear today that that is what you need most in your life, that the, the longings of your heart and your soul find their deepest connection right there where you lose your life to gain it? It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. But we're gonna do something really great now, and I'm excited about it. Uh, in our venues, as well as uh, here in the worship center, we're gonna respond. And here's what I want you to do. I don't wanna hear in, in, in the venue or in the chapel or here in the worship center, I don't wanna hear kind of like a subtle little, let's just close with a song. I would like to hear God's church sing out like we're truly free. I'd like to hear the children of God sing out like your chains are truly gone. I would like to hear you passionately pour your heart out to the Savior who bought you at a price too precious to imagine, only to set you free to live as his children. Church, can, can we hear that today? Can we cry out to God that that's what you're going to do? Let me pray for us. Lord, as we come today to respond, as we come to sing our hearts out, as we come to give you our everything, to recognize that if we're still searching after this relationship, that we have the ability to come to you, to recognize that your lordship is an incredible thing. It's a gift. It's a glorious place that we can sit with you. And if we're in this relationship, that we would feel the freedom to truly be broken, to submit to your will, and to allow you to continue to show us areas where we're still trying to lord our lives. And that process is beautiful. You lovingly come alongside us and say, if you put this down, I promise it will get better. 
You don't promise us perfect circumstances. That's not what you do. You tell us that we will struggle. You tell us we'll have trials. But Lord, we just turn our lives over to you today and we respond in song. Amen.